You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The uh, <clears throat> question that we're that we're going to deal with is how long do you have to say Kriyashma in the morning? Um, how long do you have to daven in the morning, so, assuming that you're going to go according to the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda that um, holds that um, that Tvila um, Shachris is Ad Arba Shois. And we are very used to living with this concept of something called Shois Manies, which um, I guess is best translated relative hours. Okay, and relative hours means that you can't exactly give a stable um, location to where um, the end of Zman Kriyashma happens, because it can happen in all sorts of places depending on the the relative size of the day or the night. You know, some days get shorter during the winter time and longer during the summer. So I'm just going to start with uh, with the Shulchan Aruch, who addresses this concept at the outside. It's in Simon Nunches. Zman Kriyashma Shal Shacharis, Mishir Es Chaveri Haragil Imoy Kitzas Baruch Hagdal Amos Viyakirenu. This is the standard definition of uh, Mishiyakir, according to according to the Bryce and the Gemara. And this is before sunrise, some some amount of time before sunrise. And the time for saying Shema continues ad soif gimel until the end of three hours. Shahu ravia hayoim, which is one quarter of the day. And it's 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 the best way to do it is to is to um, read Kriya Shema like Vasikin which I'm also not going to go into at any particular length, but suffice it to say, Vasikin means that you try to say Shema right before Netzach so that you can begin to say Tefillah Shema and Esri right after Netzach and that's quite a, twi- quite a trick to pull that off. Okay, so what's this idea that the end of three hours of the day, you know, which is what the Mishnah says, how does that necessarily break down into one quarter of the day. And what that means basically is that since days are not stable entities, they're shrinking or expanding all the time. So your hours are not standard objective hours. They are in fact hours that are defined by being one twelfth of the day, whatever the day is, be it long or short. So no matter how you slice and dice the hours, you're always going to come up with one quarter of the day because your hours shrink or expand the same way that the day as a whole shrinks or expands. So this is, a, this is an opinion which comes from the Rambam. Rambam is the originator of this so far as I know. And interestingly, it, Oh, no, I saw the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef quotes this from, from Perish Aram, uh, Aram Mishnayis. So it's not part, so far as I know, of, the, of his sheet in the Yad HaChazaka, but it is brought down in, the, in his Perish Mishnayis. And from there, it is quoted Halacha Lamaisa by Beis Yosef and by really just about everybody who we follow today. 
the Rambam's concept of Shorismanius is is been pretty much uh, victorious, and all of your all of your tabulations uh, follow that follow that principle. Now, at this point, I'm just going to add that that this actually brings with it another kind of ambiguity, and that is how are you going to define your day? This entity called a day, which expands and contracts, okay, um, where does it begin and where does it end? And you, and you, you have two possibilities here. You can say that, as the Mogan of Ram famously um, argues, that it begins with something called Alois HaShachar, and it ends with something called Tseisa Kuchovim. You know, which basically is the halachic beginning of the day at the very earliest possible time. Like if you really, really, really in a in um in a situation of distress, you can actually get away with davening shacharis as soon as aloisa shachar is uh, you know becomes visible. Aloisa shachar is the very first glimmer of dawn arising. Okay? And similarly, tzesek koychavim is the time when it gets really, really dark and you can actually see most all of the stars. Um, okay, and that's both, Alaysa Shachar is usually considered to be 72 minutes before sunrise and and Kechavim is considered to be 72 minutes after sunset. So if you take that whole, you know, you take that whole swath of time, you divide that by 12, that is going to give you your your shaot zmaniot, that is going to give you your, your relative hours. So <clears throat> I just need to, I need to say that according to the Magen Avram, you know, if you're, if you're doing it that way, then your first entire hour of the day is going to be completely absorbed by the period of time that comes before sunrise. So you're really talking about two hours after sunrise for your last limit of of saying Shema. Um, another thing that I think you have to point out is that 72 minutes, once again, that's a general kind of, you know, 72 minutes is not literally 72 minutes. It's 72 minutes when the days and the nights are of equal length. But if it's winter time and the nights are bigger and the days are smaller, 72 minutes is less time. If it's summertime, then 72 minutes can be, um, can be longer. Right? So, you have to, you know, factor that into into making the calculations. Also, it's not it's not really seventy two minutes as a as a <clears throat> as a hard and fast rule. One possibility that sometimes happens is you is you end up with calculations of noon that are not always at noon, because sometimes you have different opinions about when um, when Aloisa Shachar starts. And when and when Tzeta Kochavim happens, now if you go with the with let's say Rabbeinu Tam, so Tzeta Kochavim correlates with Aloisa Shachar at either side of the day. So that so once again, high noon is high noon. But there are shitas that that quibble with that, and so you can have noon that also seems to shift its time of day. Doesn't always align with high noon, and that's why you can look at certain you know you can look at certain calculations, certain calcul calendars and you can see that the time for noon also shifts not just because you're switching between you know um let's say 
standard time and and uh, and and savings and daily savings time. I forget what it's called. They call it um, they call it something else over here. <clears throat> yeah, shaun choref and shaun kayets. You know, winter time and summertime. So the the idea of of starting your your day from Alosa Shachar and ending it at Tetekochavim, you know, does involve um, some complications. All right, but that's the, that's the Mogan of Ramshita. And, you know, anytime you have a good um, calendar that gives you the calculations for when you can say Shema, it will generally give you two versions of the latest time for saying Shema. The first is going to be the earliest, earlier one is going to be Mogan of Ram, which precedes. The, the other one by about an hour. Obviously, that's the hour that is absorbed by the period before sunrise. Okay, what's the other opinion? The other opinion is that of the Gra and of the Balatanya, who seem to have managed to meet, <clears throat> have a meeting of the minds on this point, excuse me. And they hold that the time for counting, you know, that which determines what is day for the purposes of calculating these uh, relative hours uh, begins with sunrise and ends with sunset. Okay, so that's very that's very convenient for many reasons. Primarily because there's not much disagreement about when sunrise is and when sunset is. Those are pretty stable. Those are pretty stable points of reference. Um, they don't always happen at the same time. Once again, because of the expansion and contraction of daytime, you know. But they are at least uh, kind of stable and and not a lot of disagreement about when sunset and sunrise happen right. so i'm going to have a little bit of a digression over here and just say that the idea of having relative hours is is not a new one and it's not a it's not an unusual idea either um it's sundial time anybody knows how a sundial works you basically can make a very primitive sundial by sticking a by putting a stick in the ground, you know, and then watching as the sun rises and sets, you kind of, the end of the shadow is going to follow an arc. And if you measure that arc and you can divide that arc into, well, you'll start by dividing it between, you know, one half and the other half, the, the, the upwardly moving portion and the downwardly moving portion. So that will give you morning hours and, and, uh, and afternoon hours. Then you can take either of the smaller arcs and divide them by half. And that will give you the quarters of the day. And once you've, once you've done that, it's usually a pretty simple thing to divide the remaining pieces into three. And that gives you your hour marks so that you will have a, your, your sun Style, you can use it to tell time. It's going to tell exactly shoyis zmanias according to according to the according to the gra and the and the balatanya. And uh, since we like to talk about um, Tanakh here every once in a while, you, you know, Rob of Ramel and I, so sundials are or a sundial anyway is mentioned in the Navi. It's in Malachim Beis when uh, when um, Chizkiah Melech Yehuda was ill, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to heal him, sends the Navi Yishayatim with the good news, and, and um, Chizkiah Melech Yehuda uh, would like to have a sign that it's going to happen, and the sign turns out to be 
that the sundial that had originally been constructed by a previous king called Ahaz, um, the shadow on the sundial recedes by 10 degrees. Maybe that means 10 hours. And it's, it's, a, bit of a, it's a bit of a quandary what, what exactly that means. But it's essentially saying that the sun has appeared or actually did, depending on how you think of it, go backwards in the sky. Right, which is how you would, which is how the shadow of the sundial would move would move backwards. Anyway, I'll call upon him. You see that the idea of using a sundial to tell time is nothing new, and it's in the Tanakh, and therefore, at least in that regard, the idea of Shoismanius is is um, is prevalent and and reasonable. It's a nice objective way of telling time in the ancient world before there are before there are clocks. Hey, interesting question is what happens with the nighttime hours? So how do nighttime hours work? And here, here things do begin to get a little bit fuzzy. The logical thing to say, which is the, which is what the, um, the Shari Chuva brings down over here. Um, that it doesn't matter whether you are, whether the day is long or the day is short. You take, you divide the day into 12 hours and you also divide the night into 12 hours. And therefore one quarter of the day is invariably three hours, which is the time for saying, time for saying Shema. And it's gonna be exactly the same thing when you get to the end of uh, Zman, Fila Shachris, according to Rabbi Yehuda, um, that's going to be one third of the day. Four hours being one one third of of twelve. But here's where it here's where it does get a little bit interesting as far as the relationship between daytime and nighttime. For one thing, it's a little bit odd to imagine that daytime hours and nighttime hours are absolutely different things which is what it comes out to, you know, there's the only time that the daytime hours and the nighttime hours are the same is, you know, in the springtime and in, in the, in the autumn, when you have one day a year that the, that the uh, days and nights are of equal length. And if you follow the Mugen Avram, they're never of equal length because according to the Mugen Avram, you know, the, the twilight period that precedes dawn or follows, follows sunset also belongs to the daytime. And they belong to daytime hours. So invariably, according to the Mugen of Rum, nighttime hours are squeezed in little short little things, or they're relatively shorter at any rate. And the daytime hours can be very, you know, can be very expansive, but they're either they're equal once or twice a year, or they're never equal. Okay, according to the according to the Mugen of Rum. We can Just going to move on momentarily to uh, Simon Peites, where we have the same same conversation about about tefillah. And here's where there's the, there's a shari tshuva that goes into this a little bit more in detail. And here's where we where we begin to get the a notion that perhaps perhaps the idea of relative hours, relative time, is is not so clear cut. Um, he 
brings down some authorities, Shavus Yaakov and Shalmei Tzibur, Shahacheshbon shal shaoz zman yosfu lefi inyan chatsois hayoyim, Shahachama oimedes beemtza harakia. The idea of, um, I mean, I don't know why he calls this Shaizmanius, but because uh, he's, he's not really talking about that, but he is talking about, seems to be talking about here about objective time. In other words, in which each, in which each moment is a 124, in, in which each hour, excuse me, is 124th of the total time of the day. And this has to do with calculating from noon. Because at noon, the sun is in the middle of the sky. And after 12 hours, it's going to be midnight. And according to this, you, one would imagine that 18 hours after noon, and there's a, there's a bit of a textual issue here, um, but it should read 18 hours from midday. That this would be the beginning of the day, even for Kriyashma and Davening. Ach, however, BMS Einokain, it's not really like this. We actually follow the principle of the real beginning of the day and the beginning of the night. That's what, that's what we follow. So what he's saying, he's giving you a basic concept of how <clears throat> two kinds of time are structured. He doesn't deny that objective time, let's say, once again, where an hour is 124th of a day. He doesn't say that, you know, he doesn't deny that it exists. He says that it's, that it's, uh, applicability is, is um, somewhat limited. But fundamentally, if you want to understand how, how objective time works, you have to start with the one fixed point that really exists during the 24-hour period, and that is noon. At noon, the sun is in a position over everybody's head. It's in the middle of the sky. You know, it's, it's, neither, it's either going up or going down. It's right smack there in the middle. And this is a point that doesn't move. If you, once again, if you're working with sunrise and sunset, those are points that move around in the, course of, in the course of the year as the day expands and contracts. But here you have noon is a stable point. And you can use noon as a starting point for counting objective hours. Now, how you would, how you would measure these objective hours without a clock is a, is a good question, okay? But assuming that you know how to do that, Okay, you can thereby count 12 objective hours from noon, and you will get to midnight. And if you do another six hours after midnight, you will have to, by definition, get to something that you call morning, regardless of whether or not the sun has risen yet. Maybe the sun has already risen, or maybe the sun has yet to rise. But you're going to say, hey, this, is, this somehow has to be the beginning of the day. Right. And that is very, very problematic because, of course, you know that you cannot say, I mean, you know, if it's, if it's too early to say Shema, it's too early to say Shema. If it's too early to Daven, it's too early to Daven. And, and you can't simply say, well, you know, the day begins because uh, a certain number of, of hours have passed from midnight. You know, you need to actually have the phenomenon of daylight um, and sunrise to, to, you know, to reference. So 
Therefore, he says that since when you're dealing with davening, you're dealing with the real beginning of the day, however, you, whether, whether you say Aloysia Shach or, or, or Nitzah but you're dealing with the real phenomenon of the beginning and the end of, day, of the day. So therefore, you're not dealing with this more abstract concept of, of, of the day as hanging between the, the, the poles of, or the stable points of noon and midnight. Okay, and therefore, even though there is such a thing as objective time, even though there is such a thing as objective time, it's not relevant for the halachas of davening. So basically, he comes back to the to support the idea of there being um, flexible time, in other words, relative time that is based upon the distance between sunrise and sunset, whatever that length of time may be, based upon the seasonal changes of the length of the days. Okay. So I think this might be a good time to pause in case anybody has something to say or just wants to make a comment. Okay, so Rabbi Ramel was pointing out that this idea that of like starting the 24 hour cycle with, um, with noon when connecting it to midnight and then having it run around again to you know, to the next morning or to or back to noon, uh, that this is not something that we really have much experience with because our clocks never seem to be connected to to noon or midnight. You know, you, you have to look, you know, you look at your handy dandy calendar to find out when midnight midnight is and midnight is going to be like, you know, 133 in the morning or something like that. And, you know, and ditto ditto for um, for for noonday. And the reason why our clocks are so out of connection with time is because of the time zones in which we live in. So let me let me explain something. And this this also going to explain a bit about the, the Kamar Rebbe. The Kamar Rebbe, who disagrees with the idea of, of, of um, relative time. So he always says things like, uh, you can say Kriyashma until Zeiger 9, which is 9 o'clock, 9 on the clock. And yeah, and you got to wonder. I mean, wait a second. Is is, you know, he seems to be assuming that like sunrise is always at six o'clock, or or something like that, and that by nine o'clock that's the you know that's the end of of zman uh, kriyashma, or by zeiger tzein, you know, which is ten o'clock, that's the end of 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 zman tefila, according to Rabbi Yehuda, and that's a very that's very odd because if you know, you'd say well okay, but. If you know if midnight, you know if if midnight is twelve forty-five, okay, then then the end of the end of Zaman Kriyashma is not going to be nine o'clock on the nose. So I really I I wondered about this a lot, but then you know I I heard the story about my great 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 grandfather, who was the who was a clockmaker and he got a commission from the Emperor Franz Josef. <laughs> That's so the story goes to build the municipal clock in the city of Dej in Hungary. And it turns out, you know, that every town had its own clock. And it was the job of the maintain, main, maintenance person of the city clock to set the clock, to align the clock twice a year. And my great, great, great grandfather had the keys to the, to the clock tower, and he would have to align the clock twice a year. Why twice a year? Because, well, he would go in, 
at the time in the springtime on the day, on the right day, when the days and nights are equidistant from each other. And he would make sure that the clock said six. And then he would do the same thing in the, in the autumn at the, at the uh, autumn equinox. You know, when the days and nights are exactly the same size, same length, he would wait there. He would see the first glimmer of sunrise and he would, uh, and he would set the clock for six. And that means that noon was always high noon. And of course, once again, sunrise and sunset would be changing all the time. But 12 o'clock noon is always 12 o'clock noon. Now, since the Kamarna Rebbe thinks, okay, that the times for Shema and for Davening are times that are measured by this objective standard of time. So he could get up and say, Zeiger 9. Yeah, nine o'clock is the end of Zman Kriyashma. Now, of course, if you're in Vienna, that's Zeiger 9 in Vienna. If you're, if you're in Boxdorf, which is two and a half kilometers outside of Vienna, you'd better go look at their church, their you know, municipal clock tower to see what time it is over there. No one actually is thinking in terms of each town. Okay, each town actually has six o'clock happening at a slightly different time of day. I mean, relatively speaking to other towns. Right? And that's because there is no organization of a unified um, of a unified time zone, and this has something to do with the lack of organization socially of the of the nation of the country, you know, and probably to some extent the evolution of the idea of the nation state or the sense of national identity probably has something to do with having everybody, you know, because of the technolog technological advances and the requirement to have a train, you know, having a, uh, a train table that you can actually count on to get you from one place to another, you know, so you need to have a standard time in Austria to know, you know, to when to know when to get to get to the train station. So therefore, you synchronize all of the clocks in Austria to a single location, or let's say all the clocks on the eastern seaboard of the United States to a single to a single location. And in that one particular location, somewhere, yeah, twelve o'clock is always going to be high. Is always going to be high noon. But in any other place, it's not. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be like either like this or like that, or you know, a little bit more, a little bit less. So what's happened due to our level of technological advancement is that we don't really have any connection any longer between our clocks and our and our sense of what time of day it is, right? Which makes the Kamarna Rebbe's uh, opinion a little bit, a little bit difficult to follow because it, it's no longer useful in, you know, used, used to, for most people it used to be very simple, nine o'clock, nine o'clock, good deal. But it is no longer useful for us in that way because we don't really know where we are within the time zone that we inhabit. So we have to go back to, to calculations in order to figure that out too. <clears throat> oh, I just want to get, so just to get back to the, to the major point over here, the difference between objective time and, and relative time is that relative time is based on the visual phenomenon of sunrise, sunset, or daybreak and, uh, and um, like nightfall. Let's call that, let's say, and because of these visual phenomena, so that since they change, so that gives you a kind of elastic time that expands and contracts. And by the same token, the the you know the hours of the night are also going to expand and contract between the between those between those two points. The other way of telling time has to do with the distance between midnight and, I mean, between uh, noon and midnight. 
And if you divide that period of time into 12 hours, you will always have hours that are of the same, that are of the same duration. Because noon and midnight are fixed times. They're fixed moments. And you might wonder how you could actually tell when is midnight, you know, and, but people could, people, if you knew what, if you knew what stars to look for, if you knew, you know, what, um, what constellations are rising and, and setting, you could probably tell, um, you know, exactly when is midnight by simply looking, you know, looking for the astronomical signs. There was another way, by the way, which, which uh, I, I know this because of some of my uh, anthropological or archaeological research, say what you will, you can, in the ancient world, they also had the ability to make water clocks. Okay, so you make a water clock basically by, by taking some sort of vessel, putting a little tiny hole in the bottom, and filling with water. And then you, you, know, you set it up at high noon, and you make a line where the water is. And then you wait 24 hours for the next high noon, and you see how much water leaked out. Then you take that distance and you divide it up into into uh, into 24 hours. You know you divide it by you know two to get you the daylight and you know the, and the nighttime, and then you divide then you subdivide it by by half and then by threes, and you will be able to construct a little clock, a mechanism that will actually show you objective astronomical time that is not contingent about about you know looking at the sun and, and the sunrise or sunset. Now, there's a, an interesting reference to this in the Zohar, which frankly, since I don't have a really great memory for, for references, I wasn't able to find. But the Zohar describes a story about the Talmidei Chachamim who wanted to get up right before Chatzot so they could uh, learn Torah because, because the Zohar has a tremendous fascination with getting up um, before Chatzot and, and being there when the night splits. That's a very interesting lush that the Zohar always has. When the night splits, kad ispaleg lelia, right? And, but, you know, once again, in the ancient world, no alarm clock. So what are you going to do? And this was very difficult. People got up, they tried, you know, maybe they got up at midnight, maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit later. I mean, unless you were astronomically inclined, you couldn't really tell. So the Zohar describes a, a person who had constructed some sort of mechanism apparently containing a water clock so that when the water clock ran out of water six hours after or um should be 12 hours after high noon when they set it up then it tipped some sort of scale and then the something banged into some little hook and then a whole bunch of bells came crashing and jangling and making making a whole bunch of noise it must have been quite an invention um maybe like that stuff we used to have in comic books, you know, where you, where you press a button and, and a, a bit of food goes to feed a, a rat running around in a wheel that trips 20 other switches, and then, then your hat lands on your head, right? That's the, but, okay, don't mean to be funny about this, but, but obviously people were able to construct things. If they really, really cared enough, they could use water clocks to, to make some pretty, some pretty um, decent measurements. So the idea of objective time you know, where, where each hour is 124th of the total day and night together was definitely, was definitely a possibility. Okay, so I just, I am going to um, just jump to the, jump to the Zohar here, because I do have the, I do have a quote, it's the Zohar in Parshas, uh, in Parshas 
Vayakil. And without getting into the whole long discussion, which is a long discussion, um, um, the Zohar reads as follows. Begin the letlat sitrin it peleg lelia. Because the, the night is divided up or divides up into three into three sides. Okay, this is going according to the opinion that the nighttime has three ashmerot. There are three watches of the night. So three watches of the night means you have your first four hours of the night, and then you have the second four hours of the night, and midnight lands in the middle of that second mishmara, that, that second uh, watch. And then you have the last watch of the night which is the last four hours those are four hours that end with daybreak let's say however you just however you decide to define it and it goes on to say and there are 12 hours that are inscribed within these watches and if there are hours that are added to the night Inun sha'ate de mitvasfan diyamama inun. These are hours of the day that are added. Vela it chashivu milelia, and they are not considered part of the night. Bar tresar di inun dila, only the 12 hours that actually belong to her, belong to the night. The inun tresarit palgulit lat citrine, and these. 12 hours break down into three into uh, into three sides and there are three you know there are, there are three camps of angels that also are divided up and they each do different things in each one of these uh, different parts of the night and there's by the way there's a there's a corollary gemaran mesechet brachot that also talks about what hakadosh baruch Hu is doing in each one of these uh, each one of these watches of the night okay so the zohar is says very unambiguously that nighttime is governed by objective time. And what happens at the end of the night, since night is night will never be more than 12 hours, and 12 hours is the objective, hours of the objective sort. So during the winter time, you're going to have continued darkness after the 12 hours are over. So what do you do with that? Okay, so so the Zohar says that this is not really nighttime. This, doesn't, these, this extra darkness does not really belong to the night. The only thing that really belongs to the night is the 12 hours that she has. Presumably, during the summer, it's going to be the other way. The, the, the night is going to surrender some of her hours to the day. But what has been surrendered is, well, it doesn't really belong it doesn't really belong to the day. It's just, you know, it belongs to the night. It's been subtracted from the night because of the way that the, you know, the phenomenon of the world works, okay? But it still really belongs to the night. And always night is those 12 hours. And presumably, if you think about it, day also has its own 12 hours. And, and once again, we're talking about moving between, between high noon of the daytime to to midnight at night with 
12 hours going in each direction and each segment of the day or night itself being composed of 12 hours. And once again, all of the hours are objective. So this leads you in a very, you know, this, this leads you in a very kind of an uncomfortable position here because, you know, if you, if you try to maintain both of the belief that nighttime is objective time governed by objective hours and the daytime is relative time, then something funny is happening at the connecting points. The connecting points are not gonna are not gonna add up. And how do you deal with that issue is is something that the commander Rebbe is going to specifically address. Um, because once again, the commander Rebbe's point is that the objective time is really the time that governs everything. He does not believe essentially in Sha'ot Zmaniot. Okay. And um, I think you can see why he doesn't believe in it. I, you know, if you're going to consider what makes this a Hasidish tshuva or a Hasidish halachic position, it's not because anybody, you know, wakes up in the morning and decides to self-consciously say, oh, I'm going to decide Hasidish psak. You know, I mean, that would be kind of like getting up and saying, oh, today I'm going to be a liberal rabbi. I'm going to make some liberal tshuvas on, on, on halakhic questions. You know, you can't self-consciously do that. I mean, you can, you can have liberal tshuvas, but they can't, you know, you're not going to start out with the, with the uh, specific intention that, you know, today I'm going to be a liberal. I mean, you know, a tomorrow I'm going to be a conservative. Okay, if you do these things willfully and consciously, then you're not, then you're not engaging in the process correctly. But you do see that there are things like assumptions and and what what sounds reasonable to you what what is misyashiv you know what what sits well in your heart okay and the idea of time being purely relative and purely phenomenal does not sit with the commander Rebbe's heart because he wants he believes that time ought to be objective and it ought to be stable. And it ought to be stable because there are things going on in Shemayim that correspond to these hours. And if you just make the hours all stretchy and, 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 uh, and noodly, okay, so then you no longer have a connection to what is beyond the phenomenal world. Okay, it's as if, it's if the, I mean, the whole point of Taira, you know, is to get beyond this world of, of transient phenomenon to something higher. It's not to sit here in the world of transient phenomena and say, okay, well, you know, that's what, that's all we got. Okay. So the only question is, how do you make this? How do you make this work a little bit So at this point, I think we can call up the uh, the uh, Kamarna Rebbe's. Okay. Okay. So he begins by saying like this: that the time of davening is until two hours before chatzos. Now. You'll already notice that the Kamarna Rebbe is working with a Chatzais principle as opposed to a dawn or evening principle, right? And he's he's looking for that fixed point in time where you can begin to measure other things relative to that. And his point is is that don't think of don't think of Zman Shacharis as as beginning with dawn and lasting for a certain a certain fraction of the day. Think of it as ending two hours before high noon because really high noon here in his concept which is the which is the fixed point in the day that's you know that's the that's the hook that the whole day hangs on that's that's the that's the point that gives the whole day its its structure so relative to that is how you begin to determine 
um, you know, how long, when, when do you have to finish Kriyashma by, when do you have to finish Davani by? And <clears throat> you can go down to his, um, like his meta-commentary or, or maybe his, his self-commentary to what he just wrote, which is in the Zer Zohov. Now I wish I knew who all these gedolei achreinim are because I didn't I didn't see any in Shulchan Aruch, um, uh, which is you know I don't I just don't know who they are. So everybody holds not like the Rambam, Ella rather lachshov lachshov hashoyis shesh shisha shoyis or it should be shesh shoyis koydem chatzoyis. These are the hours of the day. The, the hours of the day are six hours before noon and six hours after noon. And according to this pattern, all of the all the hours of uh, of of um, kriyashma and davening are going to follow. But anything other than that is alone. Okay, and he, he quotes the he quotes the Medrash of the Gemara that uh, that the days, you know, the nights lend their hours to the day during the summertime, and the and the night and the day lends its. I know I got, I got that I got that mixed up, but whatever. Okay, the days are always borrowing from the nights, and the nights are always borrowing from the days, and that's how you have the the changes in in length. Ubevadai um, but and certainly a a loan doesn't go back in its original form. And therefore, night for all of its halachot is like night, and day is in all of its halachot for day. However, the, the reckoning of the hours that Chazal mentioned, they are on the scale of objective time. The same way that they calculate um, to calculate seasons and um, phases of the moon. Okay. Now, so this needs a, this needs a little bit of unpacking, and he's so I'm going to try to let's 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 start with what he means when he says that that loans don't go back um, in their original form. Right. So. What he means, there's, I mean, there's two kinds of things. There's there's hashola where I loan you something, and then there's a halva where I give you money. So uh, halva, you know, is meant to be spent. I I give you money to spend it. So when I give you money as a loan, I'm not expecting to get the same, you know, the same silver shekels that I gave you. I'm not expecting to get them back. I'm expecting to get different different silver shekels. Okay, so. What happens to the money once I give it to you is it becomes 100% your money. And the debt that you have becomes something like kind of abstract and hanging in your hanging as a lien against your property. And because of that abstract sense of obligation, at some future time, you're going to you're going to pump some some uh, other money into that. But the minute I give you the loan, the loan basically disappears. And that's exactly the same kind of thing that he's, well, not exactly, obviously, but it's certainly a 
approximately the same kind of thing that he's trying to say about how it works, how it works with day and night. Okay, there is a 24-hour system. There's six hours. There's 12 hours of day. There's 12 hours of night, and that's you know, and and that's it. However, in the winter time, the day gives loans some of its time to the night. So the night gets bigger. Now, what the Zohar said about the night getting bigger is that the night can get bigger, but it doesn't add anything to its 12 hours. Because it's, you know, the 12 hours, 12 hours of the night remain, remain 12 hours of the night. The fact that there's now extra darkness doesn't really change the, doesn't really change the fact of, of that being, um, you know, the fact that these are not hours of the night. They're, they're actually hours of the day. Now, the Kamar Rebbe has to agree with that, obviously. But he adds this, that when the day, when the day lends its time to the night, that really becomes night. So it's not included in the hours of the night, but it's definitely included in the reality of the night. It's like giving, it's like giving the night a loan where you know, the money doesn't become part, absolutely part of the property of the night because then the night would never have to repay it. So the fact that the 12 hours of the night remain as a, as, a, as a stable construct, even though the night has gotten bigger, fine. That's the basis of which, on basis on which you say that the night has to, has to repay the day later on when the seasons change. Right. But as long as this time is in the possession of the night, it is actually 100% night. Now, how does what does this what does this answer? This answers the following this following issue because once again, according to the Kamar Rebbe, the end of Zman Kriyashma is, is is three hours into into the daytime. That's when Zman Kriyashma ends. Okay, so if Zman Kriyashma ends then, then why can't you say Kriyashma? Let's say while it's still dark outside. Now, aside from the fact that maybe you can because it's it could be Zman Kima, but I'm really trying to avoid going down that road. The reason why, let's say, you wouldn't want to say Kriyashma um, during that period of time is because this period of time, although, once again, it does not belong to the hours of the night, but it has been loaned to the night, and since it is in the dominion of the night, it is not a, it's not a good time to say Kriyashma, or it's not a good time, not a good time to, to say, uh, you know, Tfila Shachras. Right. So that now once the sun comes up and you're now out of the domain of the night, both in the sense of being out of its hours, but also out of being out of its dominion, then you actually have a heter, so to speak, to start to start davening. Right. And that's how and that's how the the Quran um, Rebbe deals with the fact that, listen, no one is going to tell you to start davening shachris, okay, while it's still extremely dark outside. As a matter of fact, the chachila shachris should not be should not be said before sunrise. Right? So fine, no one is going to start saying that. Well, okay, you know, um, because the because its darkness has, um, I mean, nighttime has absorbed part of the time of the day, and technically the hours of the night are over. So go right ahead and daven shachris because of that. No, we, you know, you don't accept that as a svara because once this time has been absorbed by the night, 
it's like a loan, okay? And then they, and therefore it's completely within the dominion of the night, and therefore you can't daven shachris at this point. Wait, once the sun comes up, you can daven shachris, but the time for the end of tefillah shachris is still the objective time of the hours of their 24-hour day. Okay, so it, you're going to be finished with with with, uh, with Kriyashma always by 9 o'clock in the morning, and you're going to be finished with uh, Tefillah Shachris by 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. Now, this is the Kamarna Rebbe's big, big Chiddush over here. All right. And, and um, I'm going to try to give it a little bit of a twist that help, help it um, become better absorbed because it does sound it does sound kind of like he's trying to talk out of both sides of of uh of his mouth at the same time or or you know roshim you know hold hold the rope at both ends um and on on some level you don't have to do these you know you don't have to do these conniptions if you believe in shaismanias if you believe in shaismanias then there is no definition of night or day other than the phenomenon of of when the sun comes up right so um, let's see if there's anything else that uh... yeah no I think that's basically that that basically is really the point that we need to that we need to uh, deal with and I'm so I'm going to say my I'm going to say my piece here um, and it's it's like this I believe I mean to begin with the idea that of there being this objective time this is really how So the idea of there being these objective 12 hours of daytime and 12 hours of nighttime, which are, which are immutable, okay, that is a way of looking at time, as it were, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's perspective. And uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, um, there's a Yad Ephraim at the beginning of, very beginning of Shulchan Aruch and Simon Aleph, where he brings down some idea in the name of the Rashash, which is pretty amazing when you think that ideas of the Rashash made it all the way to, you know, all the way to Poland. Um, that's that's an interesting uh, phenomenon in, in of itself. But the, the Rashash being says, just for our listeners, Rashalom Sharabi. Oh yes, not, the Rashalom Sharabi. Not, the, not, yeah. not Rav Shmuel Strashen from Bilda. That's sorry, I forgot. I forgot. So yeah. Um, so used to being over here, I guess. Yes, Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, who became the uh, Rosh Hashif of Bet El and, and actually revolutionized a whole new way of thinking in Kisve Hari, that Roshash. So, so he, basically, he basically says, look, you know, in Ganeden, those are the 12 hours of Ganeden. When a Kadosh Baruch Hu decides to come down to Ganeden and, and visit the tzaddikim who are, who are there, okay, which he does, which he does after Chatzais, that happens only according to this only according to this objective time. So the, the objective time, the 12 hours, is really, is really HaKadosh Baruch Hu's time. These are the times when the Mishmaris, when the, when the watches switch in, in Shamayim. These are the things when, these are the times when, when various aspects or attributes change between one, between one time and, and, and the next. And this has to be objective. And, you know, and the, the, the Kamarna is absolutely appalled by the idea that, that, that you could let go of this kind of time in exchange for this elastic rubbery stuff that is based upon upon visual phenomenon, and that's okay. So, I think that I think that you know, kind of to resolve the ambiguity here, I'll say something very simple: that kuli alma lo pligi. Everybody understands, including the Kamar Rebbe, that our starting point is the phenomenal world. Right? 
um, it's the phenomenal world that, that awakens us. Now, it's, it's the visual fact that the sun is risen or that day is here or that it's light outside. These are the triggers, okay, that, that get us moving. And this is the world that we live in um, in, the most, in the most objective and natural way. We have to aim... We have to aim for something else. We have to aim for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's time, which is an extension of his attributes and his, and his midos. So don't be surprised if I require the physical or phenomenal triggers in order to start davening chakras. I wouldn't want to start davening chakras while it's, while it's completely dark because that simply wouldn't, uh, you know, that simply wouldn't do. Right? I, have, I haven't been awakened yet enough to get started. But once I'm awakened, I need to rise up to that level of time where things are objective, and therefore the endsman of tefillah is going to be 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, summer or winter, right? Because by the time you actually get into davening and you begin, and, and you begin to work through it, you've already moved out of your phenomenal, phenomenal perspective where, time can, where, where hours can be stretchy and noodly and you're already, you're already holding in a Kaddish Baruch Hu's time where things are where things are stable and constant the opposite is going to happen at the other side of the day because when and the other side of the day you know the time for 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 davening mincha okay is going to be it's going to start based upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu's time but you know mincha is his it's a time when when you're basically going down you're sinking from the absolute back down into the you know phenomenal realm that we usually inhabit it's so there's a there's a sense of loss that comes along with with uh filas mincha and the, the, the zohar speaks about this quite a bit you know zohar is i mean the the mincha is a is an increase of is an increase of midas adin Mincha is a, is, a, is a sense of losing something, but nevertheless, it's a very important davening because sometimes what you what you can what you can accomplish as you are losing something, as you are losing your your more sublime consciousness, is also very very powerful. There's sometimes where the loss of something is more powerful than actually having it. Okay, so so mincha is a transition that works. In the in the opposite direction from chakras, the mincha is you're going to move from from uh, absolute time, so it's going to start always any day of the any day of the year. Uh, Kamarn Rebbe says later on in in uh, in um, when he talks about Hilchas Mincha and Mara, says um, what is it? Halb Eins, you know, which is twelve thirty, twelve thirty, summer winter. Spring or fall, twelve thirty is is mincha gedayla. Uh, Four thirty is 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 mincha ktana. Plaga mincha, same thing. All of these beginning times for mincha are contingent upon Hakadosh Baruch Hu's time. The end of tefillas mincha, how long we have to say it? Well, if it's a long, long, long summer day, I can schlep mincha out, and I can I can daven way past the end of the hours of the day. But that's because I'm basically moving from Hakadosh Baruch Hu's time into the phenomenal world, and that's why that is accept, acceptable. So that's my that's my take on the Kumaran Rebbe's sheet over here. The reason the reason why it works is because we begin from the real world of the stuff that we see, the you know the 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 
stuff that comes to us through our senses. From there, we rise to the ideal world. And then when you're doing mincha, it's, it's the exact opposite process. You begin conceptually, at least with the real world, I mean, with the ideal world, and then you kind of sink towards the, the, the perceptual world. And therefore, you can even do mincha well after, uh, well after the hours of the day are finished, because the actual time of the chiyuv began prior to that. And I guess you add to the idea that that if you were mechuyev in the thing, then even though if you didn't do it until later, but in in, this, in a certain sense, it's you know the movement has already started towards the towards the phenomenal world, and therefore once again it's already it's already acceptable. Rabbi, so Gluck, I think, I, Rabbi yes. Gluck, I think there was just one thing I wanted to add based on a conversation that we had a little while ago. Uh, which was the subtitle of today's shear, which was accounting for the tilt of the planet. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the right, tilt of the planet. Right, right, which was that the there is a spot where the commander Rebbe wouldn't have to deal with this um, anomaly, uh, which is there, like you say, if there's at the equator or a certain spot, you do have this perfection of 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 exactly 12 hours, right? Of exactly hours, yeah. always the same every single day of the year. And... Um, and therefore, there is the this place where that is true, right? There's a place yes. on there's a place on this earth where this actually it isn't just from God's perspective; it's actually happening here as well, right? Right. It's just not anywhere that we care to be. <laughs> but you know, but uh, but I'll call I'll call Yeah, the point that we were trying to make, I think, was that the idea that the Earth's axis is tilted is the source of the distortion in time itself and as the, the fact the fact that we don't experience time as being even and and uh and and precise the way that the way that it ought to the fact that we have days and nights that shrink and expand that's because the earth's axis is tilted okay so so it's this is a way of basically dealing with the tilt in the with tilt in the earth's axis i think of think of the tilt in the earth's axis as some sort of pagama some sort of defect right that causes our our perceptual time to be inherently out of out of whack with with Hakadosh Baruch Hu's time. But that you, it, what's very famous, I mean, uh, it's it, scientifically it, it it it's it's a big bugaboo. But the um, the Sforno who says that's what sort of occurs post the Mabble, right? Isn't that the way the Sforno explains that the reason why the seasons begin and everything uh, changes is because pre the Mabble everything you didn't have that tilt and everything was it was the hours uh the days were completely the same it was, it was the exact same 12 12 uh 20 you know three every single day of the year and mm. and he says he goes on to say it was that beautiful you know s- you know sublime and and uh perfect atmosphere and time sphere that led to um you know, the perversions and uh, you know, aggressiveness that that the people took on their long lives. He attributes to that as well, um, and he also says their ability to think uh, and challenge God uh, mentally was also part of living in that perfect twelve twelve, which had to change. Mm. Um, anyway, so I think that sort of lines up, uh, uh, you know, sort of in because God gave us this chance. Now, God gave us this world 
pre the Mabul. The world of the, the, the commander Rebbe says, in a certain sense, we still aspire to, was there for us, but that was a world that um, we, we, we did not take advantage of its gifts, and we actually used its gifts uh, to become, uh, you know, to, to, to ruin things, and, yeah. and the Torah is a way to come back in terms of a tikkun as far as that goes. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say something else since we're since we're going from you know we're moving off into the ideological issues here. So I believe that the, since we're going from you know we're moving off into the ideological issues here. So I believe that the Rambam's concept of shoyzmanius, aside from the fact that it, that it is it is convenient, you don't have all that, that messy question about about starting shachris or finishing shachris or why you know why these you know why these should have different standards of time connected to them and and you know if, if it's if it's if it's not night anymore then why isn't it day already the rambam doesn't have to deal with any of that and and that's the great advantage of of the shoismanius uh shita the the loss of it is at least as far as the commander is concerned is that it now loses all of its connection to to uh objective time which is basically the time of the rest of the universe you know um, but uh, well, uh, one, one, I just want, yeah. what I just want to say about the Rambam is that if you know the Rambam's sheet about time, which is Aristotelian, the time is the is an accident of motion. You know, only only the present exists, but because things are moving, therefore it it creates a bunch of situations of past and present. So time is a result of movement. It's not a independently existing dimension or some sort of inherent structure to the cosmos or something. Um, so therefore, you know, the Rambam would be very comfortable with all this, all this uh, stretchy time, because look, the time that you see is the time that there is. That's all there is from your point of view, right? right. So there's no, you know, there, there is, it's if to say there is no higher time to aspire to here, because time is always an, uh, you know, is always an epiphenomenon. It's a, it's a result of motion. Okay. So that might be perhaps part of Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.